Welcome to another episode of the Strictly Business Podcast. My guest today is Reza Azad, CEO of Studio 71, a company you may not know by name, but chances are the young people in your life know the digital native stars on the Studio 71 roster, like Lily Singh, Roman Atwood, and Retin Link. They help the company drive billions of video views online, where building a business on all those eyeballs has never been easy. But Azad is a veteran of the digital video world who has steered Studio 71 in some innovative directions that we'll talk about. Thanks for coming in, Reza. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's do some level setting. Sure. Studio 71, it's not as simple as just selling ads against video. No, there's a lot more to it than that. But um, we're essentially one of the world's largest distributors and producers of short-form content. And so you'll see our stuff on YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. And we are essentially a B2B brand. So you may be watching our content. So like on YouTube every month, about one in three Americans watch an hour and a half of our content every month. Our brand does not follow. It's a lot of our partners or or brands that are housed within sort of... Um, our group. So we're and some of those brands are World Star Hip Hop is a good example. You just listed a bunch that are you know really powerful. I think you know the Fine Brothers. We're producing a show called This Might Get. So there's there's a bunch of content. It's coming from a lot of places. I mean every month we're publishing a little over twelve thousand pieces of video content. Um, right. Just on YouTube and another when it's all sliced and diced, another thirty or forty thousand pieces across the rest of the web. Um, so it's it's a huge volume of, of content that we're putting out there. So give me your sense of where we stand right now here in mid to late 2018 in this digital video yeah. ecosystem, which seems to me to be you know pretty stormy weather. Absolutely. Like if you look at it in the the macro, it's all up and to the left. But when you look at it in yearly micros, it's it's a very very tough business. Um, I think. A lot of our competitors and ourselves, uh, you know, as well, have had to really level set what this business is. So I came from the, you know, the management side of the business. There's a lot of people who entered in from tech and other sort of traditional players. Of that. Well, we'll talk a bit about yeah. that because the, the, the history of Studio 71 is interesting. You started as a management company. We were the collective. Right. So there was a management firm. We had about 120 employees. Um, we represented Lincoln Park and Kanye West, a lot of music talent, plus you know, mainstream actors like Emil Hirsch and Martin Lawrence and a bunch of folks like that. So, yeah, it started with that foundation. So it was talent first was the foundation. And the thesis of the business was that all this disintermediation that was happening. So when Michael Green started the company after the firm, it's like mid 2000s. And, you know, the there was I think MySpace was around. I think a lot of these platforms that we're talking about today were just emerging. And it was clear that there was going to be a, a way that talented people could go direct to consumer. Um, we thought it was going to happen in music. That's why we had such a large you know, emphasis in music because of the disruption of Napster and iTunes and whatnot. Um, but the reality is for us, it happened actually in digital video. That's where we saw the biggest opportunity to sort of grow a business. And once we figured that out, um, Michael was very clear um, in terms of let's let's make that our core sort of mission. So it was kind of like a, a pivot at birth. It was a pretty interesting pivot. Yeah, we'd been a management firm for about six or eight years. Um, we identified that we were going to there was this hyper growth opportunity. Took us about two years to sort of really unwind the management business, but that's essentially what happened. And fast forward to 2018, 
you know, we talked about these stormy weathers. How are you running a diversified business? Talk about the different ways you're making money because diversification, it seems like if you don't do that today, you're dead. 100%. Um, so look, the, the, the irony is last year was brand safety. This year, what you're seeing is the impact of all these OTT players that went out of business at the end of last year really sort of choking a lot of the economics of the ecosystem. So when you look at the business, it's you got to have a very large, scalable advertising business play, which means you have to be good at media and packaging media as part of what you do. Branded content is an adjacent sort of business that, that is, you know, rides alongside that. And those are big parts of what we do and where we've spent a lot of time. And then you have to understand IP um, and and content creation. Um, that's how we actually fell into the business was we co-produced the Fred movies with Brian Robbins and then did the Annoying Orange and Video Game High School. So we started, you know, IP was central to what we were doing. Um, what we've seen in the last year is a shrinkage of that market. So when Go90 goes out of business and CISO and Watchable and there's a, a much longer list than that, um, you get contraction, which is sort of what we're seeing here. Last year, the struggle was navigating through um, the brand safety issues that were running havoc that I think still continue to sort of yeah, talk about the ecosystem. Talk about how Studio 71 encountered all that. My guess is there's a lot of technology at work now to make sure that marketers are protected when they're placing their dollars with yeah. you. We, we built a tool called Studio 71 Context. And so it's not just technology, it's technology and people. So we, when you release, you know, we'll call it 15, and we're very focused today on YouTube media. I think that'll change over time. Um, but when you're focused on, on a platform like that, and you have that much of a sort of a release schedule, you can't have a traditional standards and practices department. It, people go insane. So what we had to do was build technology that would actually void out videos, that we know are not brand safe and there's the parameters i think the market in terms of just brand safety maybe this is the 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 big topic is what is brand safety is the first thing that's that i think is unclear in this market and so i think everyone's in agreement that hate speech and you know things along that line maybe overtly sexual pedophilia you know all the things that are just beyond the pale that that stuff is easy but when you get into the rest of it is is, is uh, you know, the F word okay? How sexual can the content be? All that sort of stuff. And given the market swung so heavy in one direction, we decided to take a tact with context that we were going to make a sort of PG-13 and G-rated product. So it's very, very safe. Not unlike primetime network TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, maybe even less so. Like less edgy. Um, and so what that product does through two means of technology and then people on the technology side we take all the 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 text data that comes off including including closed caption and then we use uh, some image recognition software that amazon and google we we prefer the google product uh, where we scan all our videos for drug paraphernalia guns and all the usual stuff and this stuff works the stuff work is, is actually very accurate but what drives the accuracy is actually people so then we, so we, we discount a lot of stuff. So you, you say a bad word, there's guns, or there's something that we find objectionable, you're already self-selected out. So in theory, what, what it, the people that are working for us, it's a team of about 20 people, are looking at are things that we think are brand safe, but we don't, the computer doesn't know yet. And so we have about 20 
20 sort of data points that we try to add and and can try to contextualize so like contextualizing a gun so there's a radar gun there's a nerf gun and then there's a handgun that's being used in a violent act all very different different um, mm-hmm. sort of outcomes in terms of brand safety and so the people are trying to train the computers what those are and hopefully they're selecting more and more stuff that's just safe so before we traffic in an ad a person looks at it. that's our final sort of step in the brand safety process. And I would imagine this technology has got to be table stakes at this point for companies it is, like It yours. is table stakes. And, and, and the interesting thing is there's not that many companies that have the video scale we have and the data we have that could actually execute or create something like that. Um, so it's so we're, we're not the only ones with the product, but I think we're one of one of two or one of three with this type of tool in the market. But you're making money in other ways besides advertising. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, even uh, e-commerce, I'm hearing, is becoming part of the mix for you guys. Uh, talk about that. So look, some let's just talk about the core of the business, right? It's these talent, the, the talent that's creating this content. So wherever there's an engaged audience and wherever there are people that care about something, there's an opportunity, if done right, to market and create merchandising or ancillary product around around that. And so we, we've been taking advantage of that opportunity for some time. Um, we've kind of found an interesting you know, niche. We've gotten very good at the collectible space, um, which hmm. is not how I anticipated our business evolving. We have um, we have a we have a, a channel called Guava Juice where we sell uh, toy boxes every quarter. Um, we, you know we've sold you know almost three four hundred thousand of these boxes over Jeez. the last few years, and you know we've done very well with that. We just put out a mobile app with them that we're about to you know announce a fairly large license prop you know uh, deal around. So so that that business has gone very well, but it's very much. Um, he speaks to a very young audience, and this, these are toys every quarter that they get in a box. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a we have a, a talent called Cyanide and Happiness. Where a year and a half ago we did a Kickstarter with them, we did over three million in sales, um, and that has that the success of that it was it was um, a card game has led us into a number of sort of gaming opportunities. So just this past month. Uh, there's a very famous sort of indie video game called The Binding of Isaac, and we just we just completed a massive Kickstarter there. We did raise 2.6 million in 30 days, and we expect that to have a fairly long distribution life in retail and a bunch of other places. So we've actually gotten more collectible. I, mm-hmm. I thought we would have been packaged goods or T-shirts. It, it, the, our business has grown in a in a in a different niche. And it's but it's an unpredictable business. It is unpre- it's hit driven and therefore our hits have been in this space and so that's right. why you know it's defined that way today. Also, I mean, you're working with influencers Absolutely. which from, you know, obviously we've seen them amass some great audiences but not without a real struggle. There's lots of sort of industry anecdotes about how difficult it can be to yeah. work with talent like this. So how do you insulate yourself? From Here's that? Well, first of all, let's just talk about this talent versus others, right? So the original thesis of the collective is that disintermediation is going to allow creative people to go direct to consumer. That thesis, when it plays out in video or in music or in any other sort of form, essentially you end up with a creative class that has not had to go through all the steps and all the collaborations that they that would normally they would normally go through to be successful meaning 
Roseanne Barr does not exist without ABC putting her on TV and right. so on, right? Um, and so, therefore, there's a standard they're held to that when ABC cancels the show, it's gone and, and all of that sort of stuff. On the inverse, PewDiePie can go around saying whatever he says. Disney can't cancel him. Right. Right? So, does, is, was there impact? Absolutely. But, but, but you know, he's able to continue on. And so in a world without those business consequences for behavior, you definitely have um, challenges in sort of managing and, and, and working through that. That being said, when you, when you really want to – sort of the cream sort of rises to the top, the reality is those that are super successful – and I know we use PewDiePie as an example. The, the reality for the most part is – that the, the top layer is, is, is a fairly professional class because they have been, over the last five years, working with brands, delivering on time, mm-hmm. creating content for third-party platforms, taking notes, and all of that sort of stuff. I think where the, where the tension is, is where um, the biggest tension is w- when the expectation of the partner is not in line with the reality of the talent. The partner being any add any third party, okay, right? And so, uh, you, a TV example would be: Well, we're broadcast; we should have these rights in deal making, or we should be able to control this because we do with all our other on-air talent, or however that may be. And the reality is, you don't get that control because it's somebody who's built a massive opportunity outside of you. Uh, or a brand that thinks they're making a commercial when what the talent thinks is a branded content deal, meaning you're coming into my show, you're coming into my environment, I'm the one who's sort of going to be lending you my credibility in the segment. That's where a lot of the friction is um, in, in, in managing this sort of marketplace. In the branded content side of things, it seems like a lot of people in the industry are complaining about how chaotic that is with regard to representation of this talent, so many different people claiming to speak for, you know, influencer X. How do you deal with that? Oh, it's that so that part of the market is very high growth, and barrier to entry is almost zero, right, or very limited. So we, we have a whereas on the media side, on the content side, on the there's there's just much higher barriers to entry. So it's very confusing on two sides. You've got I think a buyer market that has not figured out who owns the football and in media or in creative in strategy and PR there's firms that actually own own the capability and the expertise and the market knowledge in branded content it could be the brand could be the creative agency could be the PR firm it could be some specialist mm-hmm. so so the fact that the buy side is so fractured is one problem because ROI, which is what every CMO talks about when they have to ask for budget and all that, when you when you disperse sort of the expertise across a bunch of agencies, you end up with with people who don't have the same measurement, the same expectation, the same quality control, the same standards. So the buy side needs to fix itself, I think, first before the sell side organizes itself. And the sell side is is everything goes right it's hmm. whoever gets the client first and what the challenge is on the for the talent is you know some version of pricing is all over the place multiple people representing you and when you go back to the sort of the perception problem that this talent may be difficult to work with um, nothing like a mismanaged representative in the market to sort of further cement that, that to cement that reputation 
And so I think talent needs to take a little bit of control in this at the moment. And I think the buy side needs to, to sort of clean itself up, which I think over time as things grow, um, it will have to. Right? So you're hopeful then for change. Well, look, two years ago it was a billion dollar business. You know, now they're saying it's two and a half billion and it's growing at you know, pretty fast um, Kagers and these are you know McKinsey and analysis of the market. I, I think at some point CMOs are going to go. You know, I can't put fifty million to work and get like a PR response, a creative agency response, and a media response for the same problem. This is not. And so I think everyone needs to figure out what is it and how are they going to measure it. And once that happens, I think I think the sell side will also clean up because. It, Today, anyone can get to anyone through any door. I think that there's not a lot of vetting going on. What's also interesting about Studio 71 is your ownership structure. Yeah. Uh, a number of international companies have stakes, and you talk about how that came to be and how that positions you in the market. Right. So th- this business is, whether you like it or not or want it to be or not, is global. Um, when we talk about, I think we're now at 9.5 billion views that 60% of them do not happen in the United States. Um, and so, and when people complain about monetization of digital, one of the realities is the U S market actually, even just Google on their own does a decent job at, at, at doing it. It's when you add the UK, Germany, Saudi Arabia, the Philippines, all the uh, Brazil, other parts of Latin America where where there's where those numbers just are smaller because the economies and, and a, a number of other factors. And so our thesis was if we partnered in local markets with um, large sales houses who also had a lot of content that was applicable in short form, um, we could build a really interesting global footprint that would lift all boats. Um, and so we partnered with ProSieben. Um, they're, they're the controlling shareholder in the in business. In Germany? In Germany. They're the lead, one of the leading broadcasters, if not the leading broadcaster in Germany. And um, they were going along that sort of similar path. Um, and I think what's interesting about the model is it's in, Germ- in the U.S. I'm very, I'm very digitally native um, with, with few exceptions. In Germany, half my content is actually mainstream primetime television and and day parts and news and a whole bunch of other stuff. But cut down to short form. Cut, cut down to short form. That's exactly right. So it's it's the voice in short form, the voice of Germany in short form, or Germany's next top model, or mm-hmm. you know shows you haven't heard of like Galileo, which is their science show or their news shows and stuff like that. And we bundle that with the best of the sort of digital creative community and sell that as an ad package. Um, and so over that, that business model, we sort of you know, are, are exporting from Germany into France with TF1 and into to Italy with, with Mediaset. And is there further growth expected there? Could we see yet more partners that will enable you to get into other territories? We expected, in fairness, a lot more speed. The turnover in broadcasters globally has been pretty, pretty astounding. I mean, in the, the last executives, you're executive about. turnover at the top where we were having our discussion. So I, I would expect in the next year or so we will have further announcements along that way. But what we've done in the interim is, I mean, in, in Germany in particular, we've really doubled down on that concept. We're, we're delivering, you know, half the reach on most of the shows in terms of monetizable impressions on most of the shows. 
And I think we're really trying to figure out this notion, and it's not it's not Studio 71, it's, it's Studio 71 really as part of the ProSieben sort of entertainment vertical, trying to figure out the concept of, you know, a one reach number, right? So a single currency for total reach on a on a on a on a program and 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 so if 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 we're successful in really achieving that as a market standard uh, we believe a ton of ad dollars are going to flow into the to the proceeding ecosystem beyond just broadcast and O&Os. I, I thought of your company when I saw the news recently on what happened with Awesomeness yeah. TV because you guys essentially emerged from that same corner of the ecosystem, what was known as multi-channel networks. Absolutely. So many of those companies like your own have certainly you know, evolved or pivoted yeah. since then. What did you guys do right that they apparently, given what you see, the drop from valuation to sale price, that is not a company that I think took a, a good turn. How did what well, went on here? When you lose Jeffrey Katzenberg and Brian Robbins, that would be one big check. Just given how much value those two generated for that business, and um, they were shed when Comcast. I think so. Made the I don't know the exact timing, but right. but, but the, the, that departure was clearly not good for the, the business. Or and, and you know, I, I don't know Jordan all that well, but I, I just think he had big shoes to fill in that in that role. And I think secondarily, they they were a little different than us in from the perspective of that was a digital media brand. And a production business, so they really sold production as their core capability. Um, they didn't have the scale that that we we have at all, um, and so they didn't have the, the diversity. So as as Go ninety and others leave the market, I think it left a big hole in in their in their business plan, and I think that was that was really. I think that was, you know, very very challenging for them to navigate out of. But you guys have a production arm as well. You Absolutely. do some long form, some scripted. 100%. How is that going? We're seeing the same trends. That that is a tough market for companies like ours today. I mean, I thought that for a while the conventional wisdom was, oh, there's Netflix, there's Amazon, there's going to be Apple. Yep. So many buyers want this long form, scripted, yep. maybe not scripted. Is it not that simple? It it. It is, but but our core. So if you think about what was the core competency of what we sold and what the opportunity was for us on the production side was, look, when we did the Fred movies, those were massive hits on Nickelodeon. That was a pretty big franchise that was successful. That was that was the early days of of what became Studio Seventy One. I think a lot of people thought that was going there was going to be a lot more of that translation, where this creator class adds a lot of value for OTT is they can drive tons of subscribers and engagement in those ecosystems. And so uh, that was that was a core capability of ours. What has happened when a lot of the market entrants just decided that, you know, folded their, their tents over the last year, the, the other buyers aren't looking for that in the same volumes. Mm-hmm. So it's just our capability is still there. It's very applicable. We're, we've actually transferring it to businesses like podcasting where we know we can generate audiences and, and have people engage with our content in a pretty pretty interesting way. But I think Netflix isn't dying to do a bunch of influencer content would be the answer to that. I don't know that Apple is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're going to do it in smaller amounts. 
So I think it just makes it more challenging. So instead of being a unique player or one of a small group of people who can execute in this realm, we're now in a long list of producers selling projects, which makes, I think, the world infinitely more difficult. So we're talking about giants like Netflix and Amazon, but we should really spend more time on the giants you deal with on the ad-supported side. You mentioned you're still a very YouTube-centric company. So, you know, give us the status check on them. But Facebook, Snapchat, how are these partners evolving? So so let's just take YouTube. YouTube is obviously continues to grow in user engagement because I think at some point – you know, I think it's 2 billion monthly people. It's quite a few people. At some point, I don't know if there's going to be more users on the platform at an exponential growth, but the watch time, the amount of time people are spending on that platform continues to grow in a very, very healthy way. And so if you want to reach as an advertiser, 18 to 34-year-old demos and below, right, we'll call it 12 to 34, I think you're going to be hard-pressed finding video inventory of that scale um, on other platforms. I think it's just going to be very, very, very challenging. Um, so they're for all for, for the long term, they're looking great. And for us, they're a great, they're our best partner as it relates to, to that. Their ad technology is really good. Their content claiming technology is in, incredibly you know, solid. So it works for business like us to be on a on a platform like that. Where we're seeing other growth in video that we're like super excited about is areas like OTT. Um, we are we've been publishing a ton of apps. Not not a single. We're not focused on a single brand because that that just wouldn't fit into our business model. But we have like sixty or seventy apps, for instance, in Roku, ranging from family entertainment to gaming entertainment, animation, and things like that. And we've seen a pretty pretty you know heavy pickup in not only ad revenue. But viewership on that platform, same with Am- with the Amazon Fire um, and and other sort of connected devices, um, and so we expect to be selling more media um, through that platform, you know, towards the end of this year and next year. So we see high growth for us in monetizing OTT traffic, um, and probably like we did on the YouTube side, we'll be part of it. Will be our own distributed content, and part of it will be third parties, so long as it sort of hits that youth culture topic um facebook doesn't allow us to monetize advertising where we're the seller we do have brands on the platform i think you know some are doing well some are not doing well i think it's very much uh, hit or miss by the way not similar to youtube i just think they're not as advanced as it relates to video and video monetization but we we have high hopes for them to sort of really get that right over the next year or two which i would assume they will um, Instagram TV is super interesting. We're seeing a ton of engagement there. Again, not monetized today, but we really like the platform. And on Snap, you know, Snap is is by invitation only, right? So we've been like the guys in the, and I hate to describe us like, you know, the guys outside the nightclub, like, please get me in. <laughs> um, but we're finally getting in. So we, we just, you know, starting to produce a channel with World Star Hip Hop. Um, for for Snap, so that'll be our first foray um, in there, and you know, again, another very highly engaged environment. Um, despite all the monthly active user issues and all the growth issues that are in the public market, when you really get down to it, there's just the people that are on that platform are consuming a ton of content. So it's a good place for us to be. 
So, I mean, one last question, the, these issues that you just cited. Uh, any that we haven't talked about yet that are notable that you're saying anyone who's in the digital content game right now is, is focused on? Well, look, um, if you think about what, what I think is going to happen, then the question is who, and you're starting to see what Viacom is doing. You know, they bought Say, they bought VidCon, they've got awesomeness now. Um, I think you're going to see consolidation in this space um, j- just because of, of all the issues and the variables sort of we've discussed. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, definitely the, the drum that is beating the loudest in the market is that this business, you know, you know, look, we talk about nine and a half billion viewers, views a month and all this stuff. The reality is we're rel- we're very small when compared to any media company, right? We're in the hundreds of millions of revenue, not, not billions. And so, you know, in order to have scale in a market where you're dealing with giants, we, we got to get a lot bigger and still we'll be relatively small to add the services our brand partners need, the services our talent, you know, partners need and, and to, to service the market. The markets, there's going to be fewer but much larger businesses. And they may be inside companies like a Viacom or they may be um, they may be independent. That, that that I don't know. But you're sizable enough where you yourself at Studio Seventy One could be an acquisition target. Are that's, you guys? That's, uh, I, I, well, we already have, we already been acquired. We already have partners. The question is, how do we get bigger faster? Is is really the question I think we have as as we get into this space. Well, we'll see how that yeah. plays out in the coming year. Thanks, yeah. Reza, for coming Thank in. Thank you for having me again. That's been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for more interesting conversations with some of the brightest minds in media. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Either drop a comment to the iTunes store or send us an email at podcasts at variety.com.